The virtual CISO moment is brought to you by VCISO Services, a leading provider of quality and experienced virtual chief information security officers for small and mid-sized businesses. Check them out at vcisoservices.com. Hi, I'm Craig Schaefer, and welcome to the Virtual CISO Moment InfoSec Wrap-Up for Friday, April 7th, 2023. Start out today with something from VentureBeat that's a little bit of a disturbing statistic. A third of organizations admit to covering up data breaches. Research released by cybersecurity Bitdefender today, or yesterday, or whenever I got this article, maybe it was a couple of days ago, uh, surveyed over 400 IT and security professionals who work in companies with 1,000 or more employees. Bitdefender found that 42% of IT and security professionals surveyed had been told to keep their breaches confidential. In other words, to cover them up when they should have been reported. Perhaps even more shockingly, 29.9% of respondents admitted to actually keeping a breach confidential instead of reporting it. Now, this research highlights that an alarming number of organizations are willing to ignore their obligations to report data breaches to regulators and customers in an attempt to avoid legal and financial penalties. Not good. So why are so many tech leaders pressuring their staff to bury data breaches? The answer is that the cyber threat landscape is becoming more and more demanding with 52% of organizations experiencing a data breach within the past 12 months. Still not a good excuse. We've got another Uber-related breach. Uber drivers' data, and this time, was exposed in a breach of a law firm service. And this comes to us from InfoSecurity magazine. Now, a mid-sized law firm representing Uber's Uber has notified an unknown number of drivers that sensitive data has been exposed and stolen due to a cyber attack. New Jersey-based Genova Burns disclosed the breach in an email to customers first obtained by the register. Quote, we determined that an unauthorized third party gained access to our systems and certain limited files were accessed or exfiltrated between January 23rd, 2023 and January 31st, 2023. The notice continues. The investigation determined that information you provided to Uber, including your name and social security number and or tax identification number, was among the impacted data. Now, Genova Burns added that they are currently investigating the incident with law enforcement. The firm said it changed all seven of its, its system passwords, rather, and is offering affected drivers 12 months of complimentary identity monitoring services through Kroll. Bleeping Computer reports Microsoft and Fortra are cracking down on malicious cobalt strike servers. Microsoft, Fortra, and the Health Information Sharing and Analysis Center, Health ISAC, have announced a broad legal crackdown against servers hosting cracked copies of Cobalt Strike, one of the primary hacking tools used by criminals. We will need to be persistent as we work to take down the cracked legacy copies of Cobalt Strike hosted around the world that said... Amy Hogan Burney, the head of Microsoft's Digital Crimes Unit, DCU. This is an important action by Fortra to protect the legitimate use of its security tools. Microsoft is similarly committed to the legitimate use of its products and services. Now, a week ago, last Friday, 
The U.S. District Court for the Eastern District of New York issued a court order allowing Microsoft and Fortra, the maker of Cobalt Strike, to seize the domain names and take down the IP addresses of servers hosting cracked versions of Cobalt Strike. This will happen with the help of relevant computer emergency readiness readiness teams, CERTs, and Internet service providers, ISPs, with the end goal of taking the malicious infrastructure offline. Takedowns linked to this action have already started earlier this week on Tuesday, and the court order also allows the coalition to disrupt new infrastructure that the threat actors will use in future attacks. From Cyber News, employees interacting with ChatGPT, as you all know, it's a chatbot created by U.S. startup OpenAI, supposedly leaked Samsung-sensitive data on three separate occasions, this according to a South Korean business news outlet. Economist writes that the alleged leak came only 20 days after the South Korean conglomerate lifted a ban on ChatGPT. Ironically, the ban was put in place to avoid leaking confidential data. The information employees shared with a chatbot supposedly included the source code of software responsible for measuring semiconductor equipment. A Samsung worker allegedly discovered an error in the code and queried ChatGPT for a solution, which kind of makes sense. OpenAI, though, explicitly tells users not to share, quote, any sensitive information in your conversations in the company's FAQ. It's very important with ChatGPT or all these AI type of systems. Be careful about what information you load up there. It's not local. Information that users directly provide to the chatbot is used to train the AI behind the bot. Now, privacy concerns about ChatGPT security have been ramping up since OpenAI revealed that a flaw in its bot exposed parts of conversations users had with it, as well as their payment details in some cases. As we mentioned last week on the podcast, right here, the Italian Data Protection Authority has banned ChatGPT, while German lawmakers have said they could follow in Italy's footsteps. Security Intelligence has an interesting article on using ChatGPT as an enabler for risk and compliance. Now, it notes that organizations face many challenges regarding cybersecurity, including keeping up with the ever-evolving threat landscape and complying with regulatory requirements. In addition, the cybersecurity skills, skill shortage makes it difficult to, for organizations to adequately staff their risk and compliance functions. According to the ISC Squared 2022 Cybersecurity Workforce Study, the global cybersecurity workforce gap has increased by 26.2%, with 3.4 million more workers needing to sec- needed to secure assets effectively. Organizations must employ technologies like AI, collaboration tools, and, and analytics to cope with the situation efficiently to that end. Chat GPT can be in an, organ- an enabler for organizational GRC, that's governance, risk, and compliance. Now, some typical cases the article lists, you can go into the article and get more information for yourself. You can use chat GPT to generate draft policy or procedure documents by supplying basic information and guidance, guidelines. Additionally, GRC analysts can use it to evaluate policy and procedure documents by inputting a completed document into the model. But now again, (laughs) what we just saw with... um, the South Korean thing. Be careful. This is my take. Inputting company policies into chat GPT may not be a good idea, especially if it contains company-sensitive confidential information. 
Article goes on to say that ChatGPT can be a valuable tool to help GRC analysts manage compliance and minimize the risk of fines and penalties. ChatGPT's vast knowledge of various industries and risk data should be leveraged to identify relevant risk factors. It can also generate risk assessment reports that identify potential risks and provide recommendations for mitigation. ChatGPT could also help process text data looking for potential fraud, such as analyzing emails for identity for identifying patterns of communication that may indicate fraud. The employees communicating with well-known fraudulent actors is one particular activity. And also social media to identify individuals or groups that may be engaging in fraudulent activity and patterns of behavior or language that may be associated with fraud. And then some additional uses that they give here. You can leverage ChatGPT for a range of activities and third-party assessment programs. We talked about the VTPCISO last Tuesday, or this past Tuesday. Another acronym. I actually like that one. And provide analysts with a more engaging and personalized training experience tailored to their specific needs. Interesting stuff. I love the GRC space. That's uh, that's without a doubt my my favorite space and in the whole InfoSec realm. Anyway, I digress. Go on to today's list. is an interesting one. As I mentioned before, the lists are just that. They are a list of a few items that are in a an article with a title that I found interesting, but I haven't read through it yet. So this comes to us from eSchool News. And as you would probably figure out, this is more focused on K-12 stuff. But I would imagine that it can apply across the spectrum to all SMBs. It's very simple. It's four steps to avoid a ransomware attack. Um, let's see, a successful cyber attack on a school can have far reaching and devastating consequences. Not only does it come with a high financial cost, but it also disrupts the core function of education by making resources inaccessible, potentially leading to a loss of sensitive information such as HR and MIS data, and it diverts valuable time and resources away. So let's dig into and see what the list is. We're going to the next page, letting it load. Number one. Build a culture of security awareness. We have talked about the need for culture and security awareness on this podcast before. You don't want your security awareness program to be just to check the box. You want it to be something that is actionable, that is reasonable, that is interesting, and should offer training, as the article notes, on some basic stuff like identifying phishing emails, choosing strong passwords. You should use a password manager, in my opinion, as well, taking other basic security steps. Number two, embrace zero trust, that wonderful marketing term, which does have some validity. They call it a security concept that assumes all users, devices, and networks are untrusted until proven otherwise. It dictates a just-enough privilege, just-in-time approach to protect systems. For example, they say for this, students may need to access their grades and class schedule. The zero trust model would only grant the student access to that specific information, not other sensitive information, such as other students' grades or school financial information. And then once the student has completed viewing the grades and their schedule, their access is immediately reduced. So, yes, the the more that you can access or limit access rather to just a need to know and an authorization to know, that's good. Number three, maximize savings with data tiering, which involves storing data based on its important and usage frequency. Schools on a tight budget can save money by using data tiering to move their less critical and less frequently used data to lower cost storage options. I think that that's appropriate. I am under the impression, however, that storage costs continue to come down 
significantly. So I don't think it's as much of a big deal as it was back, as I like to say, in the day. Number four, conduct regular risk assessments. Yes, yes, yes. The risk assessment is one of the most important tools that an information security program, including the CISO and virtual CISO, has in order to affect change. They know they, they note here that schools with their busy agendas and limited resources often have no idea about the ability of their existing security measures to combat these threats. Regular risk assessments will help them pinpoint potential security threats and determine their level of preparedness to defend against them. And it doesn't have to be hard, terribly complicated. I know that there's a whole debate about there about qualitative versus quantitative and and all of that and going up and down. But it's so long as you're doing something and you're becoming a little bit of aware of the risk, I think that that's important. Finally, got a new thing that I'm doing this round on the virtual CISO moment. And that's what I'm calling a shout out. And the shout out is basically um, for those folks that are looking for positions, they're in between jobs. It's a little bit of a difficult economy out there right now. I understand that. And certainly networking is the most important thing that you can do. Getting your name out, getting your um, need out as far as trying to find a position, what it is you're looking for, and leveraging that. The the spray and pray uh, attack approach, if you will, on job seeking is just not a good idea. Target your resumes, target your strategy. Just out 100 resumes are all generic. And I know because sometimes I get resumes that I'm like, did you even read the job description? It wastes everybody's time. So what I want to do as long as I'm in uh, Monday and Friday for a particular person who is in between jobs, in between opportunities, and with the idea and the hope that maybe that will help them land their job. So if you are interested in that, send me an email at greg at gregshafer.info. I request a couple of things. I request that you repeat that you want me to say it on the podcast. You write down what you want me to say on the podcast and that you allow for the LinkedIn profile to be shared. So today's and the first shout out this is for Michael Cole. He is looking, he is looking for a VCSO role for an MSP to work directly with their clients to improve their security posture and mature their program. He holds the CISSP, the CISM, and CISA, and has master's degrees in InfoSec and Assurance, ma Management and Leadership, and just completed his MBA. Check out his LinkedIn profile in the show notes for more information and to contact him. Good luck, Mike. And that's it for today. I hope you all have a wonderful weekend. It is um, certainly a very important weekend for those of us who follow the Christian faith, Sunday being Easter. So I wish you all a very blessed weekend. Until then, stay secure.